Hi, this is Sam. And this is Anuel. And this is Murderous Intention. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot... Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey guys, so last week was Son of Sam. Not my son. No. Different time, in fact. I had to crack a joke on that one. Um, but yeah, it was um I didn't like I didn't want to get into so many of the, the details of how he executed the murders and everything like that and get mm-hmm. like down the rabbit hole because you know, people have made movies on, on this case, people have made books documentaries, other podcasts. So the information is already out there so deep that I wanted to focus on what he did, right? But also the conspiracies, theories behind it, you know? And hopefully people like it. If not, you know, just leave us a comment and I can redo it. We We can go back to the drawing board and pull out the more information that you wanted to know. You know, and we could get that for you. Yeah. But, so, with February being Black History Month, yes. we're going to start focusing more on preparing for a lot of more information on them. I think it's not just because it's Black History Month, but because of the fact that they are as important as everyone else. Their cases are right now, not just, you know, social media spotlight, you know, in the right. news and whatnot, but it's becoming where a lot of crimes are being pushed to the side due to, how do I put it? The color of your skin, you know, right. and where you're from. Right. So... This first episode, um, and I know you're like, but it's still January. Yeah. Yeah. But you know what? Yeah. We can turn any month into any month. So it's yeah. it's, it's it's our podcast. We say the rules. There we go. Yeah, you go. <laughs> um yeah. so I'm gonna give the floor to you and you can go ahead and take okay. over. Okay. Um <clears throat> So when when you did the Son of Sam um, last week, and after the after it was done, I remember telling you, oh, you went through it, like you 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 like gave us all the information all at once. You try to get it out your system, right? Yeah. I believe that this case is going to be another one of those. I don't want to <laughs> linger on you too much. Like I'm going to give you the information. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. And I want you to get it. But 
what we're doing today is the murder of Emmett Till. I'm concentrating on just Emmett Till and what happened to him. Because I could go into his mother's story and how she became a uh, black activist and you know did a lot of stuff for the movement. So, but I don't want to do that. Like, I want to bring you what happened to Emmett Till himself. And um, the same way, like Son of Sam, there's so much information on him that books, movies, um, Netflix, Hulu, like everybody has it. So you, you can really look it up. But um, because I also thought that Son of Sam was going to be a two-week, you know, like a two-parter. Yeah. But anyway, it is, uh, like you said, it is a, a show, you know, it is a podcast and we do, you know, we, we set the rules. So, and, um, you know, so I'm going to, I'm going to start with the murder of Emmett Till. Okay. Okay. So Emmett Till was born in 1941 in Chicago. He was the son of Mammy Carson and Louis Till. Emmett's mother, Mammy, was born in a small Delta town of Webb, Mississippi. The Delta region encompasses a large multi-county area of Northwestern Mississippi in the watershed of Yazoo and Mississippi rivers. When Mammy was two years old, her family moved to Argo, Illinois, as part of the great migration of rural black families out of the South to the North to escape violence, lack of opportunity and unequal treatment under the law. Argo received so many Southern migrants that it was named Little Mississippi. Um, Mammy's mother, mother's home was often used by other recent migrants as a way to station while they were trying to find jobs and housing. So her mother basically, not so much an underground railroad, but she housed them and make sure that they got on their feet and then so they could do what they needed to do. Yeah. Uh, Mississippi was the poorest state in the U.S. in the 1950s, and Delta counties were some of the poorest in Mississippi. Mammy was born in Tallahatchie County, where the average income per white household in 1949 was $690, equivalent to 2016. And as we know now, $7,000 don't, don't do crap for us. For black families, so $7,000 equivalent in 2016 was for white families. So $690 in 1949. But for black families, the figure was $462, equivalent to $4,700 in 2016. That's a lot less than $7,000. Wow. Yeah. Um, in the rural areas, economic opportunities for black were almost non-existent. They were mostly um, sharecroppers who lived on land owned by whites. Blacks have recently been disenfranchised and excluded for voting and the political system since 1890, when the white-dominated legislature passed a non-constitution, excuse me, a new constitution that raised barriers to voter registration. White had also passed ordinance establishing racial segregation and Jim Crow laws. So, as you will later find out, the only people that could serve as jurors were white people. Yeah. Because black people didn't have the right to vote. <clears throat> and because they have the right to vote, 
you needed to have the right to vote to be a juror. If, if you didn't have the right to vote, you couldn't be a juror. Um, Mammy herself largely raised Emmett um, with her mother. She and Louis still separated in 1942, which is um, Emmett's father. Okay. She discovered that she, he had been unfaithful. Louis later abused her, choking her to unconsciousness, to which she responded by throwing scolding water at him. I don't blame her. Right. Uh, for violating court orders to stay away from Mammy, Louis still was forced by a judge in 1943 to choose. You could go to jail or you could enlist in the U.S. Army. In 1945, a few weeks before his son's fourth birthday, uh, so, I'm sorry, he chose the army. He went to the army. Which is a smart, it's like a smart choice, you know. I'd rather not I'd go to, to jail. jail. <laughs> you would rather go to jail? No, I'd rather go to the army. I, oh. I'll go to the army. That's what I'm saying. I'm like, I, I, I'll enlist. Yeah, I don't want to be. So, in 1945, a few weeks before his son's fourth birthday, Lewis was executed for the murder of an Italian woman. What? And the rape of two others. Um, no, there is no proof that he actually did it. Okay. But like uh, U.S. black people didn't have any rights at that time. Yeah. So you were basically, you said, they said you did it, you got either convicted or killed. And that's what happened to him. That's messed at up. Of, yeah, that is. Yeah. Um, at the age of six, Emmett contacted polio, which left him with a persistent stutter. Um, Mammy and Emmett moved to Detroit, where she met and married Hank Bradley in 1951. <clears throat> Emmett preferred living in Chicago, so he returned there to live with his grandmother. His mother and stepfather rejoined him later that year. After the marriage was dissolved in 1952, Pink, um, Pink Bradley returned alone to Detroit. So that marriage didn't last long either. <clears throat> Um, Mammy, Till Bradley, and Emmett lived together in a busy neighborhood in Chicago's South Side, near distant relatives. She began working as a um, civilian clerk for the U.S. Air Force for a better salary. She recalled that Emmett was industrious enough to help with chores at home, although he sometimes got distracted. His mother remembered that he did not know his own limitation at times. <laughs> Following the couple's separation, Bradley visited Mammy and began threatening her. At 11 years old, Emmett, with a butcher's knife in hand, told Bradley he would kill him if the man did not leave. Ooh. <clears throat> Tough little boy. Um, Emmett and his cousins and friends um, pulled pranks on each other. Emmett once took advantage of an extended car ride when his friends fell asleep and placed the friend's underwear on his head. And they also spent their free time in picking baseball games, um, pick up baseball games, excuse me. He was a natty dresser and was often the center of attention among his peers. So that's a little backstory on Emmett. 
So, um, in 1955, Mamie Till uncle, 64-year-old Mose Wright, visited her and Emmett in Chicago during the summer and told Emmett stories about living in the Mississippi Delta. Emmett wanted to see for himself. Um, Wright planned to accompany Till with a cousin, Wheeler Parker, another cousin, Curtis Jones, who joined them soon. Wright was a sharecropper and part-time minister who was often called preacher. He lived in Money, Mississippi, a small town in Delta that consisted of three stores, a school, a post office, and a cotton gin, and a few hundred residents. It was about eight miles north of Greenwood before Emmett departed for the Delta. His mother cautioned him that Chicago and Mississippi were two different worlds, and he should know how to behave in front of whites in the South. He assured her he understood. Um, statistics on lynching began to be collected in 1982. Since that time, more than 500 African-Americans have been killed by extrajudicial violence in Mississippi alone, and more than 3,000 across the South. Most of the incidents took place between 1876 and 1930, though far less common by the mid-1950s. These racially motivated murders still occurred, though. Throughout the South, whites publicly prohibited interracial relationship as a means to maintain white supremacy. Even though suggestions of sexual contact between black men and women could carry severe penalties for black men. Not so much for the white women, just black men. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Mm -hmm. So if if a white woman decided she wanted to go and either hook up or be with a black guy, the black guy would get punished for that. Yes. Because simply because he should have known his place and he should not be with a white woman. That that's 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 ridiculous in my opinion. My mm -hmm. opinion, that's ridiculous. Yeah. Okay, so a resurgence of the enforcement of, of such Jim Crow laws was evident following World War II when African-American veterans started pressing for equal rights in the South. Um, racial tensions increased after the United States Supreme Court's 1954 decision in Brown v. Board of Education to end segregation in public education, which it, which it ruled as unconstitutional. Many segregationists believed that believe the ruling would lead to interracial dating and marriage. White strongly resisted the court's ruling. One Virginia County closed all its public schools to prevent integration. Other jurisdictions simply ignored the ruling. In other, in other ways, whites used stronger measures to keep blacks politically disenfranchised, which they had been since the turn of the century. Segregation in the South was used to constrain Blacks forcefully from any semblance of social equality. So a week before until arrived in Mississippi, a Black activist named Lamar Smith was shot and killed in front of the county's courthouse in Brookhaven for political organizing. Three white suspects were arrested, but they were soon released. Um, Till arrived in Money, Mississippi on August 21st, 1955. 
On August 24, he and cousin Curtis Jones skipped church where he, where his great uncle Mose Wright was preaching and joined some local boys as they went to Bryant's, Bryant's Grocery and Meat Market to buy carrots. The teenagers were children for, of sharecroppers and had been picking cotton all day. The market mostly served the local sharecroppers population and was owned by a white couple. 24-year-old Roy Bryant and his and his 21-year-old wife, Caroline. Caroline was alone in, in the front of the store that day. Her sister-in-law was in the rear of the store watching children. Jones left till with the other boys while Jones, while Jones played checkers across the street. The fact of what took place in the store are still disputed. According to what Jones said at the time, the other boys reported that Till had a photograph of an integrated class at the school he attended in Chicago. And Till bragged to the boys that the white children in the picture were his friends. He pointed to a white girl in the picture or referred to a picture of a white girl that had come with his new wife and said she, she was his girlfriend. And one or more of the local boys dared till to speak to Bryant. However, writing a personal account of the incident in a book released in, 20, in 2009, Till's um, cousin, Simeon Wright, who was also present, disputed Joe's version of what happened on that day. According to Wright, Till did not have a photo of a white girl in his wallet, and no one dared him to flirt with Bryant. Um, speaking in 2015, Wright said, we didn't dare him to go to the store. The white folks said that. They said that he had pictures of his white girlfriend. There were no pictures. They never talked. Um, they never talked to me. They never interviewed me. The FBI report completed in 2016 notes. Curtis Jones recanted his 1955 statements prior to his death and apologized to Miami Till Mobile. So, there's from right from the beginning. There's there's. He said, she said, you know, he said, he said, excuse me. And everybody had a different version of what happened. Well, so. question. Isn't it where it's like normally if it's a he said, she said kind of ordeal? Well, basically he said, he said. Um, mm -hmm. Isn't that where it's like it's in, I think it's like it's admissible in court because there's no concrete proof that such right. um verbiage was spilled if you want to say it like that um yeah. so are you saying yes. that they convicted him on on just words no okay i'll sit back they, <laughs> let me let me let me continue but to answer your question yes that is what we know as the law now okay. it's inadmissible because to be, you know, two different people said something, and there's no act, nobody can find the actual truth between the two. Okay. Um, this was in 1955, where whites ruled, and whatever they said went. Okay. According to some versions, including comments from the from the youngest standing outside the store, Till may have wolfed whistled at Brian. Till's cousin Simeon Wright who was with him at the store stated that Till whistled at Brian saying, I think Emmett, 
wanted to get a laugh out of us or something. Adding, he was always joking around and it was hard to tell when he was serious. Ray stated that following that whistle, he became immediately alarmed saying, well, it scared us half to death. And you know, we were almost in shock. We couldn't get out of there fast enough because we had never heard of anything like that before. A, a black boy whistling at a white girl in Mississippi? No. Wright stated the Ku Klux Klan and Night Riders were part of our daily lives. Following his disappearance, a newspaper account stated that Till sometimes whistled to alleviate his stutter. His speech was sometimes unclear. His mother said he had particular difficulty with pronouncing B sounds, and, me, and he may have whistled to overcome problems asking for bubble gum. She said that to help with his articulation, she thought till um, she taught, excuse me, she taught till how to whistle softly to himself before pronouncing his words. So, it's a cool little trick. I want to make sure that I'm not. Um, so during the murder trial, and you don't know who was murdered yet. No, um, I was like, where did that come from? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think they're trying to give you a, a back history, you know, like trying to give you a little back history. Um, but since, since they're starting there, um, Emmett disappeared. And not not really not really disappeared. I think that's a wrong choice of words. Um, Brian's husband and Brian's brother, um, Brian's brother-in-law, a lady's brother um, brother-in-law, um, came to Moses, Moses' house and asked for the 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 boy, at, the boy from Chicago. Moses, knowing what's going on, like something must have happened, showed them where he was. They took him, and he kept pleading, don't take him. Just whip him in the back, you know, like, because he already had heard what had happened. Supposedly had happened. So he's, so he disappeared for three to five days. I think it was three, but I, I'm not sure. Um... And I'm making sure that I'm not giving up too much information without. Yeah, because they went to the murder charge. So um, let me go here a second. Okay, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna skip that. Let me let you know what happened. My bad. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, when Roy Bryant was informed of what happened, he aggressively questioned several young black men who entered the store that evening. Brian, with a black man named J.W. Washington, approached a black teenager walking along a road. Brian ordered Washington to seize the boy, put him in the back of a pickup truck, and took him to be identified to be identified by a companion of Caroline's who had witnessed the episode with Tim. Friends or parents vouched for the boy in Brian's house, in Brian's story, and Caroline's companion denied 
that the boy Bryant, excuse me, the, that the boy Bryant and Washington um, sees what was the one who had accosted her. Somehow, Bryant learned that the boy in the incident was from Chicago and was staying with Moe's wife. Several witnesses overheard Bryant and his 36-year-old half-brother, John Williams, JW, um, discussing taking tail from his house. In the early morning hours of August 28, 1955, sometime between 2 and 3.30 a.m., Brian and J.W. drove to Moses White's house. J.W. was armed with a pistol and a flashlight. He asked White if he had three boys in the house from Chicago. Taylor was sharing a bed with another cousin. There were eight people in the small two-bed cabin. J.W. asked White to take them to the, the nigger who did the talking. I don't like using that word, but it's important to depict how he said it. Yeah. Um, so Till's great aunt offered the, the men money, but JW refused as he rushed Emmett to, to put on his clothes. So at the time, he's like, listen, don't don't beat him. Here's some money. You know, can we let it go? We just, he said no. Um. So he rushed him to put on his clothes. Most right informed the men that Till was from north, from the north, from up north, and didn't know any better. JW reportedly then asked, How old are you, creature? To which Wright responded, 64. JW threatened that if Wright told anybody, he wouldn't live to see 65. The men marched Till out of the truck. Wright said he heard them ask someone in the car if that was the boy and heard someone say yes. When asked if the voice was that of a man or a woman, Wright said, it seemed like it was a lighter voice than a man's. In a 1956 interview with Look Magazine in which they confessed to the killing, Wright and JW said they would have bought till by the store in order to have Caroline identify him. So supposedly, according to the two white men, they brought Emmett to the store for Caroline to identify that that was the guy that whistled at her. Um, but stated that they did not do so because they said Till admitted to being the one who had talked to her. <clears throat> they tied up Emmett in the back of a green pickup truck Joe toward money, Mississippi. According to some witnesses, they took Till back to Brian's grocery store that recruited two black men. The men then drove to a barn in June. The pistol, they pistol whipped them on the way and reportedly knocked them unconscious. Willie Reed, who was 18 years old at the time, saw that the truck, the truck passing by. Reed recalled seeing two men in the front seat and two black males in the back. Some had suspected that the two black men worked for KW and were forced to help him with the meeting, although they later denied being present. Willie Reed said that while walking home, he heard the beating and crying from, from the barn. He told the neighbor and they both walked back. Okay, I got a question. Uh, 
This poor boy is going through all this just because he whistled at a... Well, not even whistled at a female. He tried to use the whistling um, trick that his mom taught him to be able to talk to the lady to tell her what he wanted, right? So all this is happening over a misunderstanding and because of color. Color, yeah, absolutely color, 100% color. Um, but because he was so nervous at trying to buy bubblegum from a white lady that instead of um, doing his small B sound, like his small whistling, like his mother taught him, inside before he said the word, it came out. And it came out loud and he heard it and she heard it. So that's supposedly what happened. That's what people are saying. Okay. Um, so the, the two um Willie Reed and the neighbor walked back up the road to a water well near the barn where they were approached by JW. JW asked if they heard anything we responded, no. Others passed by the shed and heard yelling. A local neighbor also spotted two tight Leroy Collins at the back of the barn washing blood off the truck and noticed tilt boot. JW explained he had yet killed the deer and that the boot belonged to him. Some have claimed the tail was shot and tossed over the back value bridge in um, Vendora, Mississippi near the Tallahatchie River. The group drove back to Roy Bryan's home in, in Money, where they reportedly burnt Emmett's clothes. Um, in an interview with William Bradford Huey that was published in Look Magazine in 1956, um, Bryan and JW said that they intended to beat Till and throw him off the embankment in the river to frighten him. They told Huey that uh, while they were beating him till he called them bastards declared he was as good as they and said that he had sexual encounters with white women they put till in the back of the truck drove to a cotton gin to take a 70 70 pounds the only time they admitted to being worried thinking that by this time in early daylight they would be spotted or accused of stealing and drove for several miles along the river looking for a place to dispose of Tim. They shot him by the river and weighed his body with the fat. Wow. So, um, me me and uh, Susie, my wife, we saw this great show, mm -hmm. um, Women of the Movement on ABC. Okay. It was like every week, an hour or two, um, every Thursday for four weeks. And they started showing everything that had happened. Yeah. And um, so that's where I really. So. I'm okay, can you say that again? Everybody can see it besides what happened, you know. Because I'm not sure if they were playing it at all. So, um, most Wright stayed on, on his front porch for 20 minutes waiting for Till to return. Mm -hmm. He did not go back to bed. He and another man went into money, got gasoline, and drove around trying to find Till. 
unsuccessful. They returned home by 8 a.m. After hearing from Wright that he would not call the police because he feared for his life, Curtis Jones placed the call to Leifer County Sheriff's and another, and another to his mother in Chicago. Distraught, she thought Emmett's, um, excuse me, distraught, she called Emmett's mother's mammy, Tell Bradley. Wright and his wife, Elizabeth, drove to Sumner, where Elizabeth's brother contacted the sheriff. Um, Bryant and JW were questioned by Leifer County Sheriff's, George Smith. They admitted that they took, that they had taken the boy from his great uncle's yard, but claimed that they released him the same night in front of Brian's store. So, so um, supposedly, him and JW, um, the brother and JW, the um, Caroline's wife, them, yeah, we, uh, as Caroline said, that it wasn't him. Okay, say that yeah, again. So, you kind of broke up. I'm sorry. Um, w and his brother said that they did kidnap him. They did take him from his yard. All right. So, um, Ryan and JW told this. Okay, so I'm going to repeat that. Um, so Brian and JW were contacted by the Leaper County Sheriffs. Um, and they said, yeah, we took the boy. We brought him to Brian's store so Caroline can identify him. But we released him. We don't know what happened to him. Which was not the case. Right? Huh? Which was not the case. Which was not the case. Um, Brian and JW were arrested for kidnapping. Worked it out that Till was missing. As soon as Megger Evers, Mississippi State Field Secretary for the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, or NAACP, and Amy's Moore, head of the Bolivia County chapter, became involved. The disguised fields in search for any information that may, ha may help find Till. And three days after his abduction and murder, Hill's swollen and disfigured body was found by two boys who were fishing in Tallahatchie River. His head was very badly mutilated. Excuse me. He had been shot above the right ear, and I was dislodged from the socket. There was evidence that he had been beaten on the on the back and the hips. And his body weighed by a fan blade. Which was fastened around his neck with barbed wire. Oh, he was he was nude by wearing a silver um, ring with the initials LT. And May May twenty fifth, nineteen forty three, carved in it. His face was unrecognizable due to trauma and having been submerged in water. Most Wright was called to the river to identify Till. The silver ring that Till was wearing was removed, returned to right, and next passed to the district attorney as evidence. So the only way, and this has to be um, specified, most, um, most 
or Uncle Mo's, whatever they call him, pastor, um, only identified him because of that ring, LT, with the um, with that date, mm-hmm. March 23. We would later find out that LT was his father's name, Louis Till, and that the, that, that date, March 25th, 1943, was significant to him. It was kind of a ring that was made, but that you think kind of, you can kind of um, engrave yourself type yeah. of thing. So that's what he did. All right. So I think I think the brutal part of what happened to him is over. Uh, we're going into the funeral. Um, like I said, this this is this is not a, like I don't like this case because it's so brutal. So. Yeah. Um, although lynchings and racially motivated murders had occurred throughout the South for decades, the the circumstances surrounding Till's murder and the timing acted as a catalyst to attract nation national excuse me national attention to the case of a 14 year old boy. Were allegedly been killed for breaching a social caste system. Till's murder aroused feelings after segregation. Excuse me. Till's murder aroused feelings about segregation, law enforcement, relation between the North and South, the social status quo in Mississippi, the activities of the NAACP and the White Citizens Council, and the Cold War, all of which were played in the drama stage in newspapers all over the U.S. and abroad at that time. After Till went missing, a three-paragraph story was printed in the Greenwood Commonwealth and quickly picked up by other Mississippi newspapers. They reported on his death when the body was found. The next day, when a picture of him, of him, his mother had taken the previous the previous Christmas, showing them smiling together, appeared in the Texas Daily News and Vicksburg Evening Post. Um, editorials and letters to the editor were printed expressing shame at the people who had caused those deaths. One read, now is the time for every citizen who loves the state of Mississippi to stand up and be counted before Hullum White Trash brings us to the shelter. The letter said that Negroes were not the downfall of Mississippi society, but whites like those in white citizen councils that condone violence. Um, so body, Till's body was clothed, packed in line, placed in a pine coffin, and prepared for burial. It may have been embalmed while in Mississippi. Um, so the the other problem, the other problem with this is that the sheriff of that county um, basically said it's a black boy um, that was murdered. Let's just bury him. No consent to the mother, no consent to the family, because that was customary. If somebody was lynched, killed, they basically did a quick thing and bombed them, do what they had to do, put them in a pine box, throw them in a, in a, in a hole. My word, wow. not theirs. So the problem was that Mammy Till was not having none of that. Mammy Till Bradley demanded that the body be sent to Chicago. She later said that she worked to halt an immediate burial in Mississippi and called several local and state authorities in Illinois and Mississippi to make sure that her son was returned to Chicago. A doctor, a doctor did not examine till post mortem. So no doctor, like after he did, it was dead, they never checked. 
They just did what they had to do because they were going to bury him. Um, Mississippi Governor Hugh L. White deplored the murder, asserting that local authorities should pursue a vicious prosecution. He said the Telegram to national offices of the NAACP, promising a full investigation and assuring them Mississippi does not condone such conduct. Delta residents, both black and white, also distanced itself from Till's murder, finding the circumstance apparent. Local newspaper editorials denounced the murders without question. Um, the Florida County Deputy Sheriff John Carthon stated, the white people around here feel pretty mad about the way the poor little boy was treated and they won't stand for this. So of course, white people were like, yeah, we didn't do that. That wasn't us. You know, like he was dead a long time ago and you know, because his body was so disfigured and it was only three days, they were basically like, that couldn't have been them. That couldn't have been the white people. Um, discourse about Till's murder became more complex. Robert B. B. Patterson, Executive Secretary of Segregation, White Citizens Council, used Till's death to claim that racial segregation policies were to provide for black safety and that their efforts were being neutralized by the NAACP. So, how does black people being killed equate to them for, that they, you know, that the segregation policies were, were there to provide black safety. I don't see how that's like, because it's white safety. Yeah. It's to make sure that the black, the black people do not, but yet it's to make sure that the African-Americans do not go into white establishments, but yeah. it doesn't stop the white people from coming into the African-American establishments and doing harm to them so right. how is there a mutual safety you know yeah that's why that's why i call it bs aside from that um the whites didn't like that the NAACP, because they thought that they were um rebels i guess is the right word yeah and going against what they had grew up with and knew for so long okay so in response, the NAACP Executive Secretary Roy Wilkins characterized the incident as a lynching and said that Mississippi was trying to maintain white supremacy through murder. He said, there is in, there is in the entire state no restraining influence of decency, not in the state capital among the daily newspapers, the clergy, nor any segment of the so-called better citizens. Uh, Mammy Till Bradley told the reporter that she would seek legal aid to help law enforcement find a son's killer, and that the state of Mississippi should share the financial responsibility. She was misquoted. It was reported as Mississippi is going to pay for this, which is not what she said. Um, the AA Rain funeral home in Chicago received Till's body. Upon arrival, Bradley insisted on viewing it to make a positive identification. Later stating that the stench from its noticeable to, um, excuse me, that the stench from it was noticeable two blocks away. She decided to have an open casket funeral saying, there was just no way I could describe what was in that box. No way. 
and I just wanted the world to see. Tens of thousands of people lined the streets outside the mortuary to view Taylor's body, and the days later, thousands more attended his funeral at Robert's Temple Church of God in Christ. Now, this funeral director uh, did everything he could. Mm -hmm. Like, li literally, everything humanly possible to try to not show that body. Because what happened was when in Tala in uh, Mississippi, yeah, the uh, the coroner sealed the casket because it was like, I'm not doing this for me. I'm not doing this for white people. Like he was, he was white, but he was like, he swayed within the whites and blacks. So he really, you know, it wasn't something that he was, you know. Um, like he cared about everybody that went through there. Everybody was mutual. So, right, everything was mutual. So he said, I'm not doing this for me. I'm not doing this for Mississippi. I'm doing this for this boy's mother. Yeah. But the mother was having none of that either. Um, photographs of his mut mutilated corpse circulated around the country, notably appearing in Jetta Magazine and the Chicago Defender, both Black publications generated intense public reaction, according to the Nation and Newsweek. Chicago's Black community was aroused as it was not, it had not been over any similar act in recent history. Time later selected one of the jet photographs showing Mammy Tell over the mutilated body of her dead son as one of the hundred most influential images of all time. For almost a century, African Americans were lynched with regularity and impunity. Now, thanks to a mother's determination to, to expose the barbarous, barbarousness of, the, of that crime, the public can no longer pretend to ignore what they couldn't see. So it was buried on September 6th in Burr Oak Cemetery in Alslip, Illinois. News about Emmett Till's spread to both coasts. Chicago Mayor Richard J. Daley and Illinois Governor William Stratton also became involved, urging Mississippi Governor White to see the justice, to see that justice be done. The total Mississippi newspaper changed dramatically. They falsely reported riots in the funeral home in Chicago. Bryant and JW appeared in photos smiling and wearing military uniforms. And Carolyn Bryant's beauty and virtue were extolled. Now, I have to say something about that, and this is my perspective. I'm not trying to make no, you know, I'm not trying to say anything against anybody. Mm -hmm. But if I was to show you the picture of Caroline Bright, the last thing you would say is that she was beautiful. Man's, just a man's reaction. Just a man's reaction. All right, so I got to see this picture. Yeah, look it up. <laughs> Caroline Bryant. Okay, so you said Caroline Bryant. Yeah. I'm going to continue while you do that. Okay, hold on. <laughs> it's just, it's just, it's just, okay, hold on. So, um, while she's looking that up, let me, I'm, I'm not going to keep reading. I'm just going to, I'm just going to say um, that um, this story, of course, um, spoke to me in so many ways. Um, and a little quick story about me just while, you said you know, Brian or Bryant? Brian, B-R-Y-A-N-T. 
The one in the bottom, the, the second one that you're looking at right now. Okay. Yeah. Um, that's not. That's a good picture of her. That's a that's a very good picture. Yeah, that's, oh, a, that's that, that was like back in the day when they used to do like those um, uh, pretty little photo shoot kind of thingies. Right. And if you look down where, um, yeah, that one there with her and her husband in the white shirt. Okay. I'm sorry, guys. I'm seeing everything she's doing on phone because. We're, I we're screen shared. <laughs> um, Wait, that's a, that looks like it's an actor one. Um, oh, that's the actor. I'm sorry. You're right. That one in the middle with the little boy. That's the one. OMG. One. I would not whistle at her you? if you paid me. I'm sorry. Right. <laughs> okay, so That's being honest, it looks like no offense. I, I love my drag queens. I really do love my drag queens. But it looks like this is a first time uh, drag princess coming into the world. You know, when, when you do not know how to you know, do the whole makeup look to get the features right. of being a female. I'm sorry, but this this woman looks more like she could be a man. Right. Um, that's, that's that's why I said to me as a man, she's not beautiful. You know, she doesn't appear beautiful. But of yeah. course, we're talking about uh, the white um, newspapers, the white, you know, everything white that depicted her as a beautiful um, white woman, you know, Dante, and you know, like, um, what's what's it called? Um, you know, sensitive. I'm gonna say sensitive. That's probably not the right word, but yeah, that's what the figure bodies um, some sense. Oh my god. Yeah. So, um, but anyway, my my whole thing is. That and he was I a beautiful boy. I'm sorry. He was a beautiful boy. Beautiful, yes. I highly doubt this Anything. beautiful boy would ever want anything to flirt with that type of woman. Right. Because and the other thing about this is that he had a lot of attention in Chicago from young, you know, young girls. Yeah. That were black, you know, of course. I could imagine. He was gorgeous. You know, yes, yeah. the picture was in black and white, but he was very gorgeous. You guys, look him yeah. up, yo. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, rumors of an invasion of outraged blacks and northern whites were printed throughout the state and were taken seriously by the, the Florida County Sheriff T.R.M. Howard, a local businessman, surgeon, and civil rights opponent, and one of the wealthiest blacks in the state, one of a second in the Civil War, its slaughtering of Negroes was a lot. Um, following Roy Wilkins' comments, white opinion began to shift. According to historian Stephen Whitfield, a specific brand of xenophobia in the South was particularly strong in Mississippi. Whites were urged the influence of Northern opinion and, ag and agitation. The independent um, attitude of, was profound enough in Tallahatchie County that it was earned the nickname, the Free State of Tallahatchie. According to a former sheriff, because people here do what they damn well please. 
making the county often difficult to govern. Um, Tallahatchie County Sheriff Simon Strider, who initially positive identified Till's body and stated that the case against JW and Brian were, were, was pretty good on September 3rd, announced his doubts that the body pulled from the Tallahatchie River was that of Till. He speculated that the boy was probably still alive. Strider suggested that he that the recovered body had been planted by the NAACP, a corpse stolen by T.J. T.R.M. Howard, who concluded to place Till's ring on it. Strider changed his account after comments were published in the press. Um, later saying, the last thing I wanted to do was to defend those Peckerwoods, but I just had no choice about it. So um, this particular show, um, if you see that 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 uh, documentary, um, he was a complete a-hole, not to curse. Okay. Um, so much what was so the, document the, and, the documentary? Everything. I, I'm sorry. What was the documentary name? Um, Women of the Movement. Oh, okay. Oh, that one. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. No problem. Um, okay. So um, Brian and J.W. were indicted for murder. The state's prosecuting attorney, Hamilton Caldwell, was not confident that he could have he could get a conviction in a case of white violence against a black male accused of assaulting a white woman. A local black paper was surprised at the indictment and praised the, praised the decision, as did the New York Times. The high-profile comments published in Northern newspapers and by the NAACP were of concern to the prosec um, prosecuting attorney. Um, Gerald Shadow. He worried that his office would not be able to secure a guilty verdict despite the compelling evidence. Having limited funds, Brian and, Brian and JW initially had difficulty finding attorneys to represent them. But five attorneys at the Summer Sumner Law Firm offered the services pro bono. I'm going to repeat that. They were first finding problems getting a lawyer, but all of a sudden, five attorneys are turned. Five attorneys at the Sumner Law Firm offered their services pro bono. Uh, just in case anybody that's listening don't know what pro bono is, free. Um, their supporters place a collection jars in stores and other places in the Delta, in Delta um, eventually gathering $10,000 for the effects. So, the trial. The trial was held in the county courthouse in Sumner, the western seat of Tallahatchie County, because Till's body was found in that area. Sumner had one boarding house. The small town was besieged by reporters from all over the country. David Halberstein Halberstam, called the trial the first great media event of the civil rights movement. I also got to say, before I get into this, that nobody in on the on the African American side, the black side, um, thought this would ever go to trial. Because at that time, those cases did not go to trial at all. Yeah. The white man was right. The black man wasn't. Simple as that. Yeah. So, of course, this grew national attention, covering it, um, black reporters, white reporters, in every which way. Um, a reporter who had covered the trial for Bruno Hanteman and 
machine gun cut remark that this was the most um, publicity of any child he had ever seen. No hotels were open to black visitors. Mammy Till Bradley arrived to testify, and the child also attracted black Congressman Charles Diggs from Michigan. Um, Bradley Diggs and several black reporters stayed at TRM Howard's home in Mount Bayou, located on a large lot surrounded by Howard's armed guards. It resembled the compound. Um, TRM Howard was the richest black man in Mississippi. Just so you guys know. Um, the day before the start of the trial, a young black man named Frank Young arrived to tell Howard he knew of two witnesses to the crime. Lee, Levy, too tight, that's what everybody called them, Collins and Henry Lee Loggins were black employees of Leslie Millam or NJW's brother in whose shed till was beaten. Collins and Loggins were spotted with JW, um, Bryant and Till. The prosecution team was unaware of Collins and Loggins. Sheriff Strider, Sheriff Strider, however, took them into the Charleston, Mississippi jail to keep them from testifying. Remember I said I don't like that sheriff, that sheriff looked like an a-hole? That's why he's an a-hole. He that threw has, these. He threw these kids in jail to prevent them from testifying, which would now be, um, it's it's also uh, it's a crime now, um, where I forgot the dang name. Hindering prosecution. Thank yes, and um, isn't there is like I think it's like what not temperance with evidence, but like um something with um a witness. Witness tampering. Yeah, there you go. Okay. Yes. <laughs> okay. The trial was held in September. The trial was held in September 1955 and lasted for five days. Attendees remembered that the weather was very hot. The courtroom was filled to capacity with 208 spectators. Black attendees sat in segregation sections. Um, press from major national newspapers attended, including black publications. Black reporters were requ uh, required to sit in the segregated black section and away from the white press. Farther from the um, the jury, Sheriff Strider welcomed black spectators coming back from lunch with their cheerful, "Hello, niggas." Are you serious? Yep. Every day for the last for those five days. What some business from the okay i'm sorry no i was gonna say something but then i forgot the promise of no cursing <laughs> um some visits from the north found the court to be run with surprising surprising informality jury members were allowed to drink beer on duty and may and many white male spectators were handguns so they had handguns on them what the um the fuck? defense sought to i'm sorry no i'm just i'm just like what yeah jerry are drinking people are in their seats with guns on their hips like what the f and i mean to me the weirdest thing the weirdest thing i saw in that um uh women of the movement was that the defendants 
were so nonchalant about them being prosecuted for for murder of a black man. Because they're used to always getting away with crap that they're like, oh, this is just for show, you know, I'm going to be let out, I'm going to be found innocent. Yo, look at my cousin there in the jury. You know, that's probably like what they say, you know? Yeah. And you know, like they were, when they came in, they always had their children in front of them, you know, with their wife, you know, just to take pictures for no other reason. There was no real reason why the kids were there in court. Just just to to kind of show them as a family man. Family, yeah, right, right. Exactly right. Um, so the defense sought to cast doubt on the identity of the black, excuse me, identity of the body pulled from the river. They said it could not be positive, positively, positively identified, and they questioned whether Till was dead at all. The defense also asserted that although Brian and JW had taken Till from his great uncle's house, they had released him that night. The defense attorneys attempted to prove that Mo's right, who was addressed as Uncle Mo's by the prosecution um, and Mo's by the defense, could not identify Brian and JW as a man who took tail from his cabin. They know, I'm sorry? No, I'm just listening. Oh, they noted that the, that only JW's flashlight had been in use that night, and no other lights in the house were turned on. Of course not, because um, this is 1955, and black people did not have the right to have lights, or church poor to have lights. Um, JW and Brian had identified themselves to write that the evening they took till. White said he had only seen JW clearly. White's testimony also considered um, was considered remarkably courageous because for a black man to go and say, yeah, these two guys did it, these two white men in that time was very courageous. It may have been the first time in the South that a black man had testified to the guilt of a white man in court and lived. Um, journalist James Hicks, who worked for the black newspaper Wire Service, the National Negro Publishers Association, um, later renamed the National Newspaper Publishers Association, was president in the courtroom. He was especially impressed that Rice stood to identify JW, pointing to him saying, there he is, calling it a historical moment and one filled with electricity. A writer for the New York Post noted that following his identification, Rice sat with the lurch, which told better than anything else that that cost in strength to him of the thing he had done. Um, when he, when in the in the documentary, um, the one, he kind of leaned forward with his hand peering. The child for the New Orleans Times said it was the most dramatic thing I saw in my career. Uh, Mammy Till Bradley testified that she had instructed her son to watch his manners in Mississippi and that should a situation ever come to be to his being asked to get on his neck on his knees, 
to act for giving it to a white man, of a white person, excuse me. He should do it without a talk. The defense questioned her identification of her son in the casket in Chicago and a $400 life insurance she had taken out on him. While trial progressed, Leaford County Sheriff George Smith, Howard, and several other reporters, both black and white, attempted to look at Collins and Loggins. They could not, but found three witnesses who had seen Collins and Loggins with GW and Bryant on Leslie Millen's property. So JW's property, his wife's property. Mm -hmm. He would have testified that they heard someone being beaten, blows, and cries. One testified so quietly that the judge ordered him several times to speak louder. He said he heard the victims call out, Mama, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy. George Curtis Swangle allowed Colin Bryant to testify, but not in front of a jury. After the prosecution rejected that her testimony was irrelevant to Till's abduction and murder, it may have been leaked in any case to the jury. Sheriff Strider testified for the defense, his theory that Till was alive and that the body retrieved from the river was white. And so let me pause there. <laughs> wait, wait, is he saying, <laughs> okay. So this sheriff is saying that this young man, okay, that two is still alive and that the body from the river is a white man's body just in what? Mummified decay version? Because I've never seen, okay, I've never seen a white person body, even in decay form, be where they're, they're of a, of brown skin, you know? It's normally where there's blue, there's the bruisings, but there's, the skin is more of a grayish. So the lighter you are, the grayer your skin tone looks. In yeah. death, you know. Yeah, and you and you saw the the body after and the casket. Yeah, that doesn't look like a white body. No, not to me. Not to me. Um, a doctor from Greenwood stated, "Understand that he that the body was too decomposed to identify, and therefore had been in the water too long for it to be killed." I don't care how long the body's in the water. You could tell if it's, you know, like I understand that it was too decomposed or whatever, but I don't understand that it was too decomposed to identify and therefore have been in the water too long for it to be tailed. That would make no sense to me. No. Like there's only one person in your damn town that is missing. Okay. Everybody else is accounted for. And you're going to say, oh, well, no, this can't be that little boy. You know, this got to be a white boy. This is a white boy. No. <laughs> right. Well, and actually at the time, there was three people missing. They were all black. Remember, the two witnesses that were stuck in another county that Sheriff Strider put to not testify. 
Yeah, but that was those two were later on missing. Yeah. But the only one at yeah. that time missing that the body was discovered was mm-hmm. Till. And just Correct. prior to his missing status, he was basically being accused of something that I'm sorry, but that boy was beautiful. He will not be trying to whistle at a man like woman. Right. Okay. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I'm just. Yeah. No, I agree. I totally agree. Um, in the concluding statements, one prosecuting attorney said that what Till did was wrong, but that his action warranted a spanking, not murder. Wait. First of all, what did this child do that was wrong? He whistled to be able to try to say a word. How in my right mind is that a wrong thing to do? Yeah, I mean, it was wrong in the fact, uh, in the in the thinking and the mindset of a white person. And because the white person's law was it was law at the time. Mm-hmm. Normally, what would have happened was that he would have been taken to the back of the house, beat up badly, but not killed. And just simply on the on the accusation that he whistled and all that. Um, the problem was that Caroline Bryant Bryant. I mean, made it worse. Suppose that he touched her hand. He took her by the hand. When she went to get, you know, he, he took the gum. She asked for the change and extended out her hand, and he grabbed her hand. Aside from that, supposedly he grabbed her by the hips and brought her, brought her to him. Kind of like hug, kiss type. The problem with this, though, is that back then there was a counter like there is now, right? Mm-hmm. There's a counter between the person, you know, that has the, all the stuff on their side. Hey, I want this, you know, this candy, and they pick them out and put them yeah. on top of the counter. The counters nowadays is about two feet wide. Yeah. Her counter was almost five. So how is he gonna reach over? It was so the counter was five feet wide. Okay. And they reach her belly button. How can he grab her by the waist if he's mm-hmm. only, you know what I'm saying? It don't don't compute to me. Exactly. I personally think she wanted attention. She wanted some affection, and her husband wasn't providing that affection at that time being, and. She figured, well, if I say this little black boy found me sexy and appealing to whistle and grab at me and, you know, yank at me, maybe my husband might spank my booty tonight. I'm sorry if your household is dysfunctional, but driving a young, innocent man, well, he's not a man, he was a boy, you know, into this, into your personal affairs to try to get some kind of reaction from your hubby, that's effed up. Because now that kid just lost his life because you're an ignorant 
Fudger. Right. I'm sorry. It's true. That's it. That's exactly how me and Susie felt when we were seeing this. Exactly. Exactly. And I loved it. And I actually loved the documentary because you like it just showed every part of what they were trying to say. Of yeah. course, I just you know I shortened it. I'm not gonna. I don't want to do three or four or five podcasts because it could take actually that long if I went into, into great detail. detail on every point. Yeah. But, Okay, so um, Gerald Shadam passionately called for justice and marked the sheriff and doctor statements that alluded to a conspiracy. Mammy Bradley indica um, indicated she was very impressed with his summation. The defense stated that the prosecution theory of events that night that was murdered was improbable and said that the jury's forefathers were turned over in their graves and they convicted Bryant and J.W. Only three outcomes are possible in Mississippi for capital murder, life imprisonment, the death penalty, or acquittal. Can we go with death penalty one? I'm, I'm yeah. on that board. I'm, 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 depending on the crime, of course. If, if it's um, murder and there's evidence that you actually did it, I, I think life imprisonment um, should be taken off the table because why should taxpayers like us pay for somebody's life or they could get an education, three square meals a day while people out here in the streets, as I call it, don't get three square meals and education and all that stuff. True. That's just my, that's just me. Yeah, that's just me. No, I agree. My thing is, the reason why I say for, you know, death for these people is one, like normally I don't go for the death penalty because it's not my thing. Um, but not only did they do murder, they killed a child. I don't care how old he is. He is a child. Yeah. Okay. And they did this because some woman wanted her panties to be up in a bunch. Okay. And it's just like, uh, mm -hmm. So what, what happens? Like, Okay, yeah, let's get to it. On September 23, the all-white, all-male jury acquitted both defendants after a 67-minute deliberation. Oh. One juror said, if we hadn't stopped to drink pop, it wouldn't have taken that long. So they were acquitted of murder. And, and again, I referred to the... Um, the documentary which I saw, um, they 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 had they, there was twelve men. Ten of them were saying not guilty, two of them were saying guilty, and then the argument that persuaded them was, we can't have these people from the north come here and tell us what to do. This is this is our way of life, and this is the way it's always been. Basically, no, normally, again, I repeat, normally, this would not have gone to trial. It would have been no problem. Not, you know, like, the rug. He got, he, he got taught a lesson, and let's leave it at that. But if it wasn't for the persistence of Mammy, his mother, I don't think any of this, this would have gotten as far as it got. Not to forget to mention that the 
NAACP took interest in her and her case and pushed it even farther than it should if that she could have pushed it herself. Mm -hmm. um, so let me continue. In a post-trial analysis, blame for the outcome varied. Mammy Till Bradley was criticized for not crying enough on the stand. The jury was known to have been picked almost exclusively from the Hill County, excuse me, from the Hill Country section of Tallahatchie County, which due to its poor economic makeup found whites and blacks compete for land and other um, agrarian opportunities. Um, so like, and I'm just gonna skip some of this because it just doesn't, So they were acquitted on um, on the murder trial. As soon as they got out, they left the, the courtroom. Another uh, sheriff arrested them for kidnapping. Right. Okay. And I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say this quick. There was so much back and forth about with the blacks during the black publication. Okay. Um, I'm making sure that he at least gets a, they they at least get arrested for kidnapping because they themselves testified that they kidnapped him. But that la later they let him go. Right? Yeah. Um the white press was so like competing to find something that would persuade the jurors, not the jurors, the grand jury, excuse me, um, to not even let this go, you know, like this is this is a meaningless case that is not worth prosecuting. Mm -hmm. They brought up the death of his father and the charges that his father was brought up in Italy in the, when he was in the army. The newspaper, the white newspaper, said this simply: "Like father, like son." That was the day before what? the jury, the 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 grand jury was to meet. Guess what happens after that? Oh, please tell me like nothing happened. Nothing. nothing. They they said that it wasn't um, prosecutable. Done. I don't. I, yeah. It, <laughs> how? They admitted it on the stand. They kidnapped this boy. And yet, the charges of kidnapping gets dropped. Right. The let, me, let me, yeah, go ahead, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. So, it says here, in, in November 1955, a grand jury declined to indict Brian and JW for kidnapping. Despite their own admissions of having taken till, most right in a young man named Willie Reed who testified to seeing JW enter the shed from him, from which screams and blows were heard, both testified in front of the grand jury. After the trial, so they they said no, okay, there's no there's no case here. After the trial, T. R. M. Howard, which was as I said was the richest man in Mississippi at that time. Pay for the cost of relocating to Chicago for Wright, Reed, and another black witness testified against J.W. and Bryant. So he he's like, yeah, I gotta get out of 
you guys, you got to get up out of here. You can't stay here. So he relocated them to Chicago. In order to protect the three witnesses from reprisals for having testified. Or they were going to get killed, in my words, because they testified against those two white men. And then they didn't keep their mouth quiet. Right, and they're like, yeah, we'll, we'll help, you know, we'll, we'll say what happened. We see, we'll see. we say what we saw. That wasn't, like, again, that wasn't the norm back then. Reed, who later changed his name to Willie Lewis to avoid being found, continued to live in, in the Chicago area until his death on July 18, 2018. He avoided publicity and even kept his history secret from his wife until she was told by a relative. Reed began to speak publicly about the case in the PBS documentary, The, um, the Murder of Emmett Till, and in 2003, excuse me. Um, of course, there was a lot of, you know, again, this was one of the, the things that started the movement. The, you know, the, um, what's it called? The Blacks Getting Their Rights Movement. I'll, I'll say like that, there's a better word for it. I just can't remember it at this time. Um, but the most important thing to me that just happened not too long ago. Was, wasn't it the so civil rights movement? The civil rights movement, thank you, yes. So this this murder of Emmett Till basically got all the black people riled up enough to start the civil, the civil rights movement to get their voting rights and really their freedom from white people. Yeah. Even though it took too long, and, and for me, personally. Um, the last thing I'm going to say in this case, and then I'll give it to you to see if you have any comments. In 2022, okay. I think it was a week ago or so, the U.S. Senate voted to award Emmett Till and his mother, Mammy Till Mobley, the Congressional Gold Medal. Oh, wow. My thing is, I love that. I love that that happened. Yeah. But this case happened and this murder happened in 1955. Why does it take us this long to give them what they deserve? They deserve the Congressional Gold Medal in 1960, not in 2022, in my opinion. Yeah, no, you're definitely right. Um, unfortunately, you know how, how things are. You know, yeah. back then it was a lot different now with a lot of the you know the black black lives matter of movement that's ha is still happening you know that is actually moving things forward um there are some things that are happening that i'm like i'm i'm not a hundred percent behind certain things but i do understand where some people are coming from um But when it comes to this, I definitely see it as where it's, they should, like you said, they should have got this way back then, you know, yeah. but understandably it's one of those situations. It's better late than never, sure. you know, um, this young man lost his life for a stupid reason, you know, truly stupid. Um, but now he marks him and his mom marks the books you know as doing something to make a change to start right. the change 
you know? Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with that. Um, and then what I, I mean, I have to mention and I have to make sure to express that his mother started, you know, like he, she started talking, publicly talking and, and got interviews and all that. And it was on the basis of his of a son. But years later and until she died, she kept on the movement, not for not so much for her and her son, but for other women, mothers, that their children had died. Mm -hmm. We also got to remember that this happened in 1955. This probably wasn't the first one. We know now in 2020 and 2022 of all the murders that um, that were killed, that black men, African American men, and women um, were killed by police. Um, it hasn't stopped. It's getting. And I have to, I have to make sure I say this correctly. There is more, it's getting better in the fact that every decade, I'm going to say, there's something that happens and it moves the needle a little bit further. Yeah. Um, but especially with the murder of George Floyd, I think it moved it more than just a little bit. And it's on every my, everybody's minds and thoughts and um, the protests, even though I don't agree with all protests, especially the damaging of property. That's just my personal opinion. Yeah. I love the protests of we got to stop this. We got to change something. Um, but it continues. It continues. And that's really the problem with with um, the United States coming. And it's, and it's sad that they've been fighting this for so long and they still haven't got what they really want. For them to be treated like everybody else. Exactly. Because, I mean, I think personally, in my last statement, um, we should not, it should not be news when a black person is killed for no reason. Like, there is, that should never happen. I, I'll say it like that. Um, and like I was telling my wife at the end of this um, four weeks, uh, this last Thursday, if a, I understand that, and even though it should never happen, if you go into somebody's house and you steal their stuff, and they catch you and they kill you. That's understand. Like, it's not. It's not great. You shouldn't kill nobody. But that's more understandable than, hey, he was black. I didn't like how he looked looked at me. I didn't like how he talked to me, so I shot him. Like, when will we stop saying um, he was killed because he was driving while black, being black, sleeping while black, and every other thing that comes with that? So yeah. That's my statement. I'm done. Thank you. And I'll leave it to you, sir. Well, if you guys want to give us your opinions on this or give us a case that you feel needs to be shunned and needs to be um, spoken about, please email us at murderousintentions21 at gmail.com. Or you can Instagram us at murderous underscore intentions underscore podcast or you can always send us a tweet at mi true cry podcast all right guys we'll see you next saturday with another case what is it who is it you'll find out
I don't know. <laughs> All right, guys. See you next week. All right. Bye. Bye-bye.